So John chapter 6, starting at verse 25 and reading through verse 40. When they found him, they being the crowd, we'll get to them in a minute. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And so they asked him, well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lauren Winner is a writer that I like, and she has a great book uh, that explores different scriptural images for God. And she doesn't really go for the obvious ones. She doesn't explore king or shepherd. We we hear those a lot. Instead, she goes for the more offbeat ones. Like when God describes himself as a laboring woman 
in Isaiah. Or when Jesus in the Gospel of Luke describes himself as the bringer of flame and fire. And she explores how Jesus describes himself here in our portion of scripture today. Jesus as the bread of life. And she writes about a small group that she uh, led in her home congregation. And she asked those gathered in, in this small group, if Jesus is the bread of life, what kind of bread is he? Kind of a striking way to address the question and get at the image. We, we so often hear the metaphor and just allow it to stay fuzzy. Bread, this generic thing, as if any of us eat just generic bread that doesn't have a particular taste and smell and look and feel. So when you imagine Jesus as the bread of life, what bread comes to mind? What do you see? What do you smell? What do you taste? Is it a big loaf of sourdough? When I'm preparing Lord's Supper, I tend to go for just a big, beautiful loaf of sourdough. I love the taste, the smell, the richness. Maybe for you it's a flat circle of pita. Maybe that does it for you. Rarely will any of us choose the little tiny dry squares of white bread or gluten-free bread that we get at communion. You want a big, beautiful loaf of bread. The responses that Lauren got back from her group floored her. <laughs> no one had the same answer. They were a constellation of people's tastes and experiences and relationships. For one person in the group, Jesus as the bread of life is a bagel. For another, it's toast with jam. Another person said morning glory muffins. Another person said rosemary ciabatta. For another person, it was, it was their, their grandfather's challah bread. For someone else, they said French toast. And someone else said a crusty baguette. And Lauren is a divinity school professor. She teaches theology for a living. And she recalls this tangible and imaginative list whenever she notices that she is yet again returning to Jesus as an abstraction or a concept, something divorced from her everyday life or something just kind of vague. She, she turns to this list, she has it pinned on her board, and she takes it down and she uses it to pray, asking God to help her remember her hunger for the bread of life. in the particulars of her life, in the details, in the everyday. Knowing Jesus is not just some generic idea of God or bread, but he is as real and sustaining 
as the toast she had for breakfast and is as satisfying to her soul as that bread is to her body. If Jesus is the bread of life, what kind of bread is he? Where we join the story in the Gospel of John, Jesus has just fed a small, not a small crowd, a crowd of thousands (laughs) with a boy's lunchbox. The boy's mother that morning had kneaded and, and baked the barley loaves that she put in his lunch along with two small fish, enough to satisfy her growing boy, but certainly not enough to feed a crowd of thousands. And Jesus takes that boy's lunchbox, he takes those homemade barley loaves, and he thanks his father for them, tears it, and starts handing it out. Until thousands have filled their bellies, and then some. And those who tasted those miraculous barley loaves, who had their bellies filled that afternoon, decided that Jesus was the guy to follow. In fact, they said, well, this guy must be the prophet that was foretold that would come like Moses. But not only that, we've got to make this guy king. If he's king, we're never going to go hungry. If that guy's king, Israel will have it made. And so they follow Jesus persistently, relentlessly. And Jesus knows what they want to do with him, to make him king. They want to force him to be their king. And so he gives them the slip. He he, he sneaks away, basically, walks on water to get away from them to get to his disciples on a boat and go to another town. And our story picks up when the crowd finally finds him again. Again, remember, they are relentless and they are persistent. They are following Jesus. And and the crowd finds him and they ask him the question, as if he were a celebrity and they were the paparazzi and he somehow got past them. How did you get here when you were there and we didn't see you leave? And then Jesus confronts them about their misguided intentions in following him. I'm telling you the truth, that you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. What Jesus is doing here kind of goes to the heart of John's depiction of discipleship. The other Gospels have the main invitation that Jesus extends to those who would follow him as saying, come, follow me. And John includes that, it's there, but he also adds something else. In the very first story that John tells about people following Jesus, 
it's a, it's a few followers of John the Baptist. And they seek Jesus out, and they're following him, literally following him down the road. And Jesus notices this, turns around and asks them, what do you want? Not come, continue to follow me, you're kind of doing that, but what do you want? He wants to know why they're following him, not just that they are following him. What they intend by following him, what they want, because that matters. And here, this crowd follows Jesus persistently, relentlessly. All the things we usually applaud someone for, you're following Jesus right on. Jesus does the same thing, except he doesn't ask the question. He just tells them, I know what you want. This is what you want. You don't want me. (laughs) You want more of what I can give you. They ate barley from his hands along with thousands of others, and they want more of that. Full bellies. The idea of a powerful king And when he tries to deflect them, they just ask for more. That's why they say to him, well, what what sign will you do that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? You may have fed a crowd of thousands from a little boy's lunch on a single afternoon, but um, our fathers and mothers had Moses feeding them for a whole generation, morning, noon, and evening, for 40 years. Can you do something like that? John is a gospel writer. He frames the life of discipleship as a question of the heart, of one's desires, of one's loves, of one's hunger. And with the first I am statement, I am the bread of life, he drives this point home with the imagery of bread and full bellies and the need for more. What do you want? What do you want? Why do you follow me? That's a tricky question for us to answer, I think. And it probably shifts and changes depending on where we are at on our own faith journey. What we're going through, what we're hoping for, what we're fearing. But it's probably a good question to check in on every once in a while. Why do you follow Jesus? If Jesus were to turn around, see you following him, even relentlessly, persistently, and he were to turn around and ask you, what do you want? Why why are you following me? How would you answer Or maybe like the crowd, what would Jesus tell you (laughs) you actually want? How would Jesus describe your desires, your heart, your relationship to him, your reasons for following him? If we're honest, our motivations are probably a bit of a mixed bag of things, okay? There's habit and ritual in there, 
There's hopes and fears. There's belief and conviction along with doubt and a little befuddlement. And there's probably in there a strong desire to have our needs met, to have our bellies full, to get from Jesus what we need or want from him. When Mother Teresa died, an American journalist shared a story of an interview he did with her back in the 70s. He was blown away by her care for the poor, for the broken, and he just kind of kept fawning all over her in the, in the interview. Kind of understandable, she's Mother Teresa. And he kept asking this tiny gentlewoman how she did it. How she faced poverty every day, day in and day out how she faced that kind of hunger around her. And he kept returning to this until, until she turned the question around on him. She turned the question around on him as the hungry one. And she said, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people. You all in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. They feel unloved and unwanted. These people are not hungry in the physical sense. They have their bellies full. But they are in another way. They know they need something more, and yet they don't know what that is. And what they are missing, really, is a living relationship with God. This journalist, who would never have considered himself hungry before, walked away from the interview with this gentle and powerful woman of God, less focused on his own full belly and met needs and, and more aware of the hunger that gnawed at his soul, his own emptiness, his own hunger and longing. And Jesus is doing something similar with the crowd, turning their hunger around on themselves and asking them to look deeper. And he begins by reframing the story they tell about Moses and about the, the bread from heaven, the manna in the wilderness. They attribute the bread to Moses Jesus reminds them that it was the Father who sent the bread. They talk about the story in the past tense, something that happened to their ancestors back then. And Jesus speaks of it in the present tense. God did not just send the bread of heaven for their ancestors in the wilderness back then. But God the Father gives the true bread from heaven here and now not just for one generation that died in the wilderness, but for the whole world, bringing life, even eternal life. And the crowd responds with, I think, about the most honest prayer they could probably muster at this point. Waking up to the hunger beyond their stomachs, beginning to catch a, just a glimpse of what Jesus is actually talking about. And they say, please, sir, 
Please, sir, always give us this bread. Please, sir, always give us this bread. And that's when Jesus declares, in response to their honest prayer, their deep hunger, and even in the midst of their very misguided notions about why they follow Jesus, Jesus declares that I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. In reaching for a way to help them understand who he is and who he is for them, he chooses an image that's very close to, to their kind of misguided notions of why they follow, right? Their full bellies, the bread that they're craving. It's an image that dominates their everyday life, more so than it does for us now, right? We might pull a loaf of sliced bread out of the cupboard, but we're not sitting there and kneading and baking it every morning to feed us and our family, and then doing it again the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. We don't devote two hours of our day thinking about or making bread. Unless you were earlier in the pandemic and then we all made sourdoughs, but we're beyond that phase now. Bread was not just their food. Bread for them was not just their sustenance, it was also their utensil, it was their plate. And when there's no bread in a home for them, when there's no bread in a town or a land, it's famine. And the absence of bread is a sign of absolute hunger, the opposite of life. Bread was not optional for them. Bread was life. And our relationship to bread is a little different. It's not as intentional for us. Some of us forego it completely. But the truth of what Jesus was offering the crowd is the same for us now. That Jesus just isn't the bread of life for those in the past. Jesus is the bread of life for us now. The bread of life who sustains us every day. The bread of life that satisfies our deepest hunger in our souls. The bread of life that strengthens us and nourishes us for the work ahead of us. And the bread of life that fills us with good things and does not send us away empty. We all follow Jesus with a mixed bag of intentions and motivations and wants and needs. At times, we can only think about what we need Jesus to do for us. We're human. <laughs> pretty selfish, it's kind of our default. And we follow him persistently, we follow him relentlessly to get what we want from him. But thanks be to God, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our deepest desire and need and hunger and knows our deep need of him. Not what he can do for us, but for him. And he does not wait for us to get our act together, for us to purge our motives and only have pure motives for following him. 
He meets us where we are, in our everyday lives, in our everyday hunger, and in our everyday need of him. And that's why our bread of life speaks words of promise and assurance here in this passage. For the crowd that day, who were fumbling their way towards belief in him, and for those of us who are also fumbling in our belief of him. Our bread of life says this, All those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. I shall lose none of those he has given me. So this week, as you go about your everyday life, making a sandwich, maybe smearing some cream cheese on a bagel, or eating a few gluten-free crackers, or maybe returning to making your sourdough starter, when you're inclined to think of Jesus as an abstraction, or as a way to get what you want, may that bread remind you of your hunger. May that bread remind you and lead you to believe that Jesus is the very bread of life, as satisfying to your soul as that bread is to your body. And Jesus, our bread of life, he faithfully does the will of his Father and will not lose a single one who comes to him. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh, our bread of life, always give us this bread. Whatever our motivations for following you, sometimes we're better at it than others. You meet us where we are. And for that, we thank you. We give you praise and we hold on to you. Thank you for satisfying our hunger. Thank you for knowing our deep need and being the one who satisfies. In the name of Jesus, our bread of life, we pray. Amen.